Good morning, church fam. It is so good to see all your beautiful faces here this morning. If you're visiting, welcome. It's good to have you joining with us this morning as we worship. If you're joining for the first time online, welcome. It's good to have you here. Just keep singing. If you're not sure what we're tapping into, the Apostle John was taken up into heaven, and the book of Revelations was written around what he saw, what he perceived, what God showed him. And it says in verse 6 of chapter 4, Before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf. And the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created so we say it together you are worthy O Lord you are worthy O Lord you are worthy O Lord, are worthy, o Lord to receive glory To receive glory, to receive glory and honor and power. Lord, we say, let the worship in heaven come down to the earth. Let worship like is in heaven be found on the earth. So we're just going to have Tyson release just something God's placed on his heart. And then we're going to go back into a song. And just see where the Lord wants to finish off in our time of worship here. But let's just hear what's on Tyson's heart. So Steph had come to me and said that she saw this crevice in the ground and there was a fence on either side. And God told her there's deep things in this crevice, but the only way to get over the fence is through unconventional worship. And so the last couple Sundays, God's been telling me if my people would worship me like I was there, then I would be there. And, uh, and so then he brought up this other scenario. So I'm a Leafs fan. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about if So anyone who knows anything about the Leafs is we never make it past the first round. So I was, uh, I was watching hockey, and it was in overtime. And I was at Ben's house, and there's a bunch of people there who didn't know, like didn't really follow hockey or anything. But when the Leafs scored the overtime goal to go to the next round... I freaked out, and I ran over, and I grabbed Ben, and I threw him over my shoulder, I ran around, and I was giving everybody high fives, because I was so excited, and God's like, that's what I want, I want unconventional, I want excitement, I want when you guys, when you come into my presence, to go crazy, and throw people over your shoulders, and be unconventional, because I know that if the throne room was here this morning, we wouldn't be sitting here just... Lord, we love you. It would be, oh my goodness, there's thunder, there's lightning before the throne. And I don't know how to be crazy and unconventional before the Lord. And I feel like I kind of am, but I know there's another level that God wants me to get to. And I don't know how to get there. And I, But I know that if we all went there together, however that looks for you, just be unconventional this morning. Because if we worship God like he's here, 
He's told me for the last four Sundays that he will come and he will be here. So I don't know what that looks like for you to jump or to run or to come to the front. But just do what it takes to bring God's glory here and worship him like he's actually here. Father, we pray that you would perfect our praise. There's a psalm that, I think it's a psalm that talks about God perfecting praise in the voice of children. Because children have not experienced enough trauma yet to be divided in their heart. You're never more able to express your whole heart than when you were a child. It's, It's trauma in our lives that creates fragmentation that causes us to be unable to release ourselves fully. So Father, we say, Lord, make us like little children that do not calculate their surroundings, that do not calculate how they're going to be perceived. What are others going to think of me if I do this or this or this? Father, release us from the tyranny of our own self systems of self-protection. Thank you, Lord. I love that testimony from Tyson because there are certain environments where we find ourselves able to be unhinged. Up here. There are certain situations where we can abandon ourselves. It's culturally acceptable. It's, uh, you know, it's okay for a man to do this in this situation. But, you know, in certain situations, like men don't. And then we got a list of behavioral rules. They might not be official. We may not have signed a covenant or a contract, but, you know, we harness ourselves and others harness us to say, this is the right way to act as a man. Father, release us from all the unwritten conventions that ensnare us in ways we don't even know, that inhibit spontaneity, creativity, Lord, we want to please you with our, our full focus. That's really what it comes down to. Full focus. Thank you, Lord. Everybody said? So God, free us from chains... We do not know we have. Father, free us from the dominance of these impulses that that guide us continuously without our knowledge. Father, awaken us to initially the fact that there is a slavery that we've been born into beyond what we have even discerned so that we can begin to ask for freedom. Amen? So we're going to get into that a little bit today, but I want, to, I want to follow the track that I've been following for a few weeks here. Now, the weeks have not been continuous, so you'll have to piece together in your memory what we talked about two weeks ago, because that's the last time I was here two weeks ago, between, between our trip to Georgia and our trip to Quebec City, I, I spoke. I don't know, uh, I, can't, I didn't watch the video from last week, I can't remember who spoke, but I heard it was good. Was it Chris? Yeah, Chris Bannis. He's getting pretty good, eh? I'm hearing so many good things about his, his I mean, his leadership is amazing. His, his heart for this community is amazing. Uh, but Father, anoint his lips even more and more. You know, we want to raise up heralds for the gospel out of the church. And part of being that is not learning a system of speaking, but being free to speak. <laughs> that, that's where it starts. And so we're on our way there. But in order to enter into that freedom, there's a conflict that we're facing, and it's a conflict that is global. It's a conflict that unfolds on every level. 
It unfolds in our city. It unfolds in our souls, individually, personally, in small groups, in the city, in nations. And I, I call it the gates battle. So two weeks ago, I was talking about the gates battle. And, and I summarized it somewhat, not very well. Actually, I was listening to it this morning to try to remind myself exactly what I said and didn't say so I don't re-say everything. Because uh, that's what happens when you speak so many different places. Like, I don't remember what I said to these guys or didn't say to these guys. So if I sound repetitive, that's why. <laughs> I don't remember. So you guys I was talking to, I do this to my wife all the time. I'm telling her the same stories over and over. Oh, yeah, I couldn't remember if you were there <laughs> when I told it. I've told it four times. But, but, but we are... We are, we, are, we are entering a warfare where the winner and the loser in terms of the kingdoms and the realms we, we, we represent is determined by which gate we open and which gate we close. As I said, this is play, being played out on the scale of nations and on the scale of communities like Spruce Grove and on the scale of your individual life. That each and every day, each and every week, you are faced with choices as to whether you are going to close the gate of hell or open it. You are being faced with a choice, and hopefully this morning we exercise that choice properly, appropriately, whether we're going to open the gate of heaven or not. And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a second, but... But the, uh, the revelation that I had some years ago was about the gates of hell. And the reason I'm talking about this is because uh, I believe we're coming to a crisis moment in our nation and in the, in the Western nations in particular. There has been a strategy uh, since before time, of course, but significantly unfolding in the last few years where we're seeing the gates of hell open in the western hemisphere on a scale we've never seen it. And we have, from a distance, we've viewed other nations entering into crisis moments where their economies, their nations, the fabric of their societies collapse under the weight of uh, circumstances that result in destruction of various kinds. And you can cite, of course, the extreme versions of this, which are, you know, the most, the most reputable or infamous one we know is Hitler's Germany. We look at that. But there are many others, right? Mao Zedong in China, what happened there? The killing fields of, of, uh, of the, the uh, Cambodia. Cambodia, Rwanda, and then modern day, of course, the last world war we had. And we think, okay, what happened there? And you can analyze from a sociological standpoint, you know, the influence, the effects of economic stresses and, and political agreements and the frustrations around those things. But let me tell you, behind the scenes of all of these circumstances are constructs that are spiritual in nature. And that when revival comes to the land, and we know this, we talk about this a lot, we're praying for revival. Revival just isn't something that happens because God decided. The revival happens because a door, a gate of heaven opens and heaven begins to cascade down on the earth. And to that end, we are told, pray this way. Pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the, the onus on us is, is that everything we do would be calculated to open the gate of heaven and shut the gates of hell. But realize that principalities and powers, uh, the, the echelons of the kingdom of darkness are trying to orchestrate right now an opportunity to open the gates of hell. Now the good news is this, they can't do it at will any more than you can create revival at will. Now we have the capacity for revival, we just don't know how to do it. 
And so to open that gate of heaven such that we have unfettered, continuous heaven on earth, somehow the gate keeps getting closed. And then we, we find ourselves in a moment of time where we look at, we're reading books about when it opened. Like, oh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, it'd be great. But the question, God is saying like, yeah, but how committed to it are you? And you know, you're not committed just because you go to a church that's about revival and says, hey, we should have revival. You're committed to it if you never open the gate of hell. <laughs> that's the ultimate evidence of real commitment. So we're gonna talk about that in a second. But I wanna share a little bit, a couple of stories I, I had. Uh, I'll try and wrap them up really quick. I'll try and be concise. But uh, where was the first one? Oh, yes. I can't remember the year exactly. I think it was around Edmonton winning its first Stanley Cup. <laughs> I wonder what year that might have been. Anyway, I found myself, I had come back from Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, and, uh, and I, was, uh, I was, I think that was the year, yeah. I was going to a movie downtown, it was that old one where the church took over. I can't, Grandin or something? Fair, Paramount, yeah. Anyway, it happened to be the night we were celebrating as a city. I wasn't following hockey at that time because I was a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. And uh, Edmonton, who? <laughs> like, anyway, uh, that's a whole story. You don't want to hear it. But I remember we're going into the theater Early in the evening, it's light out, and uh, of course it's light out all throughout the evening, but there's, everything's blocked off. There's going to be a party in downtown Edmonton, and there's two lone guys kind of jumping up and down with a tinfoil version of the Stanley Cup, and they're pretty excited. Well, an hour and a half to two hours later, I come out of that building, and those two guys are still there, and I'm thinking, man, that's quite a commitment. Jumping up and down for two hours, still, you know, and it's like, but now there's thousands of others around them chanting and jumping at the same time. And I remember feeling a distinct and unusual energy in the air. And I remember thinking, huh, that feels different. That's all I knew. I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to be unto. Well, the next day in the morning, the headlines of the paper was this riot that had broken out on this occasion. And again, I, maybe it wasn't the first, maybe it was the second. I, the dates don't matter. What matters is the dynamics around what happened. But there was, there was, an, there was an energy being released in the air as people were giving themselves to something, and it exploded in violence and destruction later that night. I didn't know about it. I thought, oh, that's tragic. Maybe we should not have celebrations like that. I don't know what the answer is at the time. But anyway, some years later, I found myself at a football game in British Columbia at BC Place. Happened to be the, the uh, last game of the season, and our BC Lions were disqualified from the playoffs already. So this was a meaningless game for them. And it just so happened, like, somewhere in the fourth quarter, the beginning of the fourth quarter, the crowds started to get unusually rowdy, and all of a sudden, the, the odd person started running across the, the, the field in the middle. Next, that led to the boldness of another who launched himself, and, you know, you know, that kind of craziness, and I got my moment in the limelight, celebrate me, look at me, guys. But the one led to two, led to three, led to four. Before long, there's like a dozen people running wild. Next thing you know, the referees leave the field, the players leave the field, and they go into their dressing rooms. And after about five minutes, there's a group of 20 or 30 camped at, at center field, and they're chanting. And, and I start to feel this, this swirling, this vortex of energy, and I thought, oh, that feels familiar. I'm thinking, I, I know what this is. <laughs> I, I, all of a sudden I had this prophetic picture of a principality that was whipping up this, these winds of, of chaos that he was, tr he was trying to open 
a gate of hell for destruction. Now, realize that principalities and powers can't do that at will. They need something to work with. Right? And that the, the materials they need come from all the individuals all over the place. They, they, what they can do is they can harness lawlessness in the hearts of people, uh, confusion, anger, uh, bitterness, uh, whatever, whatever demonic things might have been sown as a seed in your life. You may, think, you may think, well, yeah, I would never do anything like that. But occasionally you find yourself doing things that you don't want to do. Anybody ever find yourself doing? Last week or two weeks ago, I shared about this young man who got caught up in the riot the, the last, a few years ago when the Canucks were disqualified from the playoffs in the semifinals, or, or, or was it the finals they lost? I can't remember what it, But anyway, all of a sudden there was a riot. There was destruction all over downtown. And a young Christian guy from the Chilliwack area was down there, and he was charged now some months later with vandalism and the rest of that. But his, his, his mindset was, I don't know what happened. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. I... I, that wasn't me. I lost control. I, well, well, because there are factors at work that are pulling on what you have allowed to exist in your life. And with the right circumstance, with the right atmosphere, that can be leveraged to create something on a scale higher than what you would ever permit as an individual, but with the additional forces suddenly becomes a tornado, a vortex of violence and destruction. And people lose, they think like, uh, uh, and we, can be, we can be regret, have to be filled with regret and think, uh, I don't know why, I've never done that before. I, I should never have, I would never have, it's not me. That's why so many people, when they're in court being sentenced for things that were unusual in their life, they feel not really responsible. Because like, well, the devil made me do it. And so uh, here I was in this football game and this vortex is growing and I'm, and I'm thinking, I wonder how many believers are in this building and I wonder how much authority we have over this because this is, I knew it. I knew this is a spirit of riot. I'm wondering how much ability we have to shut this down right now. And so I started praying in tongues under my breath. It was just Matthew and I were there. And I'm sitting there and I start praying and I start under my breath saying, I bind a spirit of riot right now in Jesus' name. I break the power. I co- and I, I pictured Jesus commanding the winds, right? In the storm. Shut up! And so I, I, I start doing that. I said, I command you. I, I, I rebuke and I start breaking the power of that. Because I... I'm, I'm opening, opening another gate. But I don't know, is, is, can I do anything of consequence? That's what I was wondering. Like, do I have the ability, like there's so many others giving themselves to this moment, coming under this spirit that's harnessing them into obedience and creating this atmosphere. How much, well, the Lord began to whisper to me, he said, one shall put a thousand to flight and two shall put 10,000. That there's an authority in the kingdom of God to do multiple, uh, you know, exponentially beyond what the individual can do, that the saints have a power to do that. So I, I immediately thought, well, there must be others in this room who have the same heart as me who are praying right now at this moment. So I, I begin to pray. Within five minutes, that thing, and it was escalating. You could feel it, the crescendo of it, this energy in the air. And it just, it just quit, crested, and started to come down. Within five minutes, the pack of people just began to organically disband. And I thought, thought to myself, wow, this really works. <laughs> I knew it worked. I knew these things are real. I just, want, I just didn't know how much ability do we have in a moment like that to stop it from happening. Now, to be fair, there's moments where you can't 
where there's not enough equity of faith and godliness in a region, in a people, and you gotta get out of there. Actually, our friend missionary Kim Wheeler has a few stories of some amazing things like this that unfurled in Guatemala. Maybe sometime he'll share on them. But there was one time when Jesus, his life was being sought after, a gate had opened, and they were trying to kill him, and it was so intense that he withdrew. He withdrew from Judea. Remember that? But he waited till an opportune time, and he says to his disciples, now we're going to go back. And they said, whoa, 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 they're, they're trying to kill you over there. But Jesus knew that that door had closed. Because he was in touch with central command. Right? And he, and he says to them, are there not 12 hours in the day? Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about night and day. You know, when, uh, when they took him, when they came to the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, he says, I think that's the place he says to them, he says, now is your hour of power. Like there's a, there's a moment when a gate of hell opens, because, but it doesn't happen by itself. It's connected to a lot of other forces that allow it to happen. Here's the point. We, as the church, not only have the power to create an opening for the gate of heaven, we have the power to strategically close the gates of hell if we do what we're supposed to do in the times we're supposed to do it. Now, the equivalent is like this. It's like, you know, when when you've got problems criminal problems in a particular neighborhood, you put, you put boots on the street, right? This is classic law enforcement. You put, you put bodies walking around. So, you know, if there's problem with violence as the, as the bars are closing on White Avenue, what they do, they make sure there's extra personnel showing up at 2 a.m., you know, or between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. in that jurisdiction so that there is a visible presence to discourage lawlessness. Now, we're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with principalities and powers. But those principalities and powers leverage, they get their authority to move from flesh and blood. Now, we can't determine what others do, but we can provide a presence wherever we are that says no. Not today, Satan. (laughs) My daughter-in-law has a t-shirt that says, Not today, Satan. I love that. Well, there was another case, and I'll quickly, because what we don't realize is that not every environment is the same. That that what fuels that hostility and allows a, a certain location to be particularly incendiary and causes it to be explosive are factors sometimes going back dozens of years, maybe even hundreds of years. So I happened to be one time in Israel, and we were in the Arab quarter, and we're, we're walking around, there's 500, 100 of us. And how many of you were on that trip? Anybody? Anyway, we, we were with David Demian, and there was, there was a tour. We did all kinds of prophetic things all over the nation. Anyway, we had a day when we were just walking around the streets and a friend of mine from Copenhagen comes running up to me and he says, hey, Mark, I, I'm looking at buying this. What do you think of this? And he told me the price and I thought, oh, he really got took. And uh, it, there was a u- unique system there for purchasing in the Arab quarter and you had to sign a piece of paper and then you go to another place to pay. And so he's in between picking out what he wanted and paying and he, there's two shopkeepers with him and I was sort of oblivious to the moment and I advised him, yeah, you could probably get that cheaper just over here. As you can imagine, the shopkeepers were not that pleased with my advice. But what was crazy is within seconds, we were surrounded by a mob of screaming merchants. Yeah, and you want to talk about a vortex? It was immediately, I mean, it was already wild and spinning out of control. The, the kinetic energy of hostility and rage was so tangible in the air, I thought, we better get out of here, like, fast. Fast. 
And I began to realize that, that there, are, there are dynamics, mixtures of influences that are different from town to town, situation to situation. And those who have studied riots and lawlessness and these kinds of things, they, un- they understand the natural side of this. And they talk about emotions and, and you know, crowd dynamics and the rest of that. But they don't understand the spiritual dynamics, that at the epicenter of this thing is a spirit that is simply leveraging what is being offered to it, and its goal is to create mayhem on a scale equivalent to Germany, on a scale equivalent to Rwanda. And if it can't do, if it can't create systemic destructive forces politically or between races, then it it will look for a moment to free itself to unleash its destructive desire on humankind. But this is the battle that's happening all the time. And what we're called to do is not just be good Christians. All right? We're, we're learning, when we first get born again, we're learning to worship God. We're learning to get the boldness to go out and dance and look stupid, you know, if necessary. We're learning what it means to, you know, behave and to pray. And we're going into the scriptures. We're discovering all of these things. But the ultimate goal of all of that is to bring a manifestation of heaven on earth. But here's the thing. It doesn't hand them randomly. Uh, It comes because structures allow the release of those commodities. Death and hell are released because a door has been opened. So when it comes to revival... God, what do we do? I mean, besides being open to the idea. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's great that we're open. Yeah, a revival would be great. You know, I'd love to see angels and maybe be caught up to heaven and have all these things happen. But but here's the, what are we doing to facilitate that? Well, uh, so much to say. Let me read this scripture from Matthew 16 and verse 10 because this is the pivotal place where for the the first time we realize that there's actually more than human agencies involved in these things. I mean, we, we have this idea. We know as Christians that, oh, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But sometimes... It's like for us, when the presence of God comes, we don't know where it came from. We're in a meeting, the first time you feel the presence of God, the first time God touches your life, it's like it just happened. And I had this moment, and the only thing I know is this moment I felt this and was thinking this, and then this changed. Or, you know, you have something of your testimony. I experienced God for the first time right here. But you have no clue why you experienced in that moment and not 10 minutes earlier, not a week earlier, not a year earlier. And so it gives rise to this idea that all these things are random. That, well, we don't know what happens. God works in mysterious ways. And so, you know, we just wait for him. You know, so we sing the song, we wait for you. (laughs) And God is saying, no, no, no. I wait for you. And I'm not saying don't sing that song because, because there's an element of waiting on God. That's, but you hear what I'm saying. But God is looking actively, always looking for those whose hearts are fully given to him so he can ask of them things that are unconventional so that he can do what he wants to do with willing people. And so... So that's the journey we're on. And he's training these 12 in particular, the 12 disciples, and he's trying to show them what he's doing, except they can't perceive the invisible realm. So whenever he's talking about the invisible realm, he always says things like, the kingdom of God is like, because there's nothing exactly that, that he could say, this is it right there. So anyway, there's this moment, though, 
where he starts testing them one day, and you've heard me talk about this, but for the sake of those who may be here for the first time or online for the first time, let me read it. The, uh, the, the background is this. For a, a period of time, Jesus has been discipling and walking with his disciples, and he's showing them, he's speaking his word, and he's showing them what he's doing. And he says things like this. He says, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And that, that paradigm right there was the hardest thing ever for them to catch because their whole culture was say the right things. This idea of saying things that are judged not by the content of the language but by the subterfuge underneath it that was either from the hell or heaven that was, and that's what he's referring to. That was, that was a mystery. Like, they didn't even have a language for that. They didn't even know what he was referring to. The words I speak to you are from above. Like, I, I say what I hear the Father say. Like, like, okay, how does he speak to you? Is he whispering in, his, in your ear? Like, how do you know the difference between those words and these words? So they're going along, and what do they do? First thing to do is mimic his words. First thing we do as Christians. What do you, what do, you do? You, you find another Christian that you think is doing a pretty good job, and you say the things that they say, and you do the things that they do. You emulate, you copy, you, you absorb the superficial substance of the biblical language, and you begin to weave it into your daily discourses. But Jesus is saying, when I say the words I speak to you are spirit and life, I'm not saying memorize the words and repeat them. I'm saying that there's a source from which things come that is heaven, and I want you to get connected to the source. That's really what he's he's telling them to do. And I know I've said this before, but it it bears repeating again and again and again because it's so easy to get into behaviors. It's so easy to get into the superficiality of saying the right things, things that are theologically consistent with our position as charismatic Pentecostals or whatever we call ourselves. But what Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The, the, The root goes much deeper than behavior modification. So he's, he's trying to get the disciples to do what he did, which is to hear from God and to bring things from the source that's beyond the notions of what is right or proper or correct from a cultural standpoint or otherwise. And so right now he's asking them this question. And when Jesus is asking you a question, he's not looking for correct theology. He's looking to see, are, are you connected to what I'm connected to? So he says to them, who do, the men, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some said John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, some of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, And blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I know I've talked about this lots, and there's, I could repeat a lot of the things, but here's the point. Jesus is saying to them, This thing that just happened in your life is the cornerstone, it is the central activity that will cause my kingdom to advance. Not only will it it cause my kingdom to advance, the nature of this thing is such that it will cause the very gates of hell to close. The gates of hell cannot remain open when this door is open. And last time I spoke on this, I referenced Mount Carmel and that confrontation that Elijah had with the prophets. They couldn't do what they normally did in that moment. So here's what's happening. There's a war going on in our culture right today. The enemy is trying to use injustice, trying to use human imperfection, trying to use false, a false narrative, trying to demonize 
Entire cultures, in the, in the case of the United States, the entire culture, this is what's happening with the woke world right now. It's saying, no, everything is racism, everything is slavery, everything is, and, and so we can't trust anything. Now, I, I don't want to get into it too much, but this is a classic Marxist yeah. approach to how you take over a nation. As, as you get them to destroy their history, their culture, their, their constructs of, of a society in order to implement something diabolical, but something that on the basis of your anger promises to be better. And so, oh, man, I don't know much to to talk about this. A few years ago, we here in Alberta voted in a government out of anger for the, the failings of the president administration. Now, the president administration was, was doing very stupid things, and there was, there's corruption, there's other things. Except, in our anger, what we, what we invited in was far worse than what we got rid of. And that's what the enemy is always trying to do. So take, for example, the, the revolution, the Chinese revolution. The structure of the family was destroyed. The structure of male and female was destroyed. Do you know that, that they actually stripped their clothing from all the nuances of male and female and they were all given common clothing in the Red Army? What was the first thing they do? To create, because, because it somehow said all of these distinctions are evil. And their ultimate goal is we want, to re- we want to destroy all of your affinity for everything that you have, for your, your identity as a person, your identity around your gender, your mother and father, the family structure we want to destroy, your commitment to, to your town, your commitment to your business, your commitment. All of those commitments must be destroyed because we want to harness all of that all of your goodwill, and take it for the state. Yeah. Now, and that was it. The Communist Party is the only entity worthy of your devotion. And whether you know it or not, that's what's happening right now. But the kingdom of God is actually based on a whole other system that values yes. your sexuality, yeah. your gender, it values mother and father. It values marriage. It values the nuclear family. It values the cohesion of communities walking together and, and, and uh, working for the good of the city in which you dwell. Not only that, but the kingdom of God values the distinctions in nations. Like that's one of the things this, this spirit is trying to destroy. Your allegiance to your nation is getting in the way of your allegiance to us. Yeah, come on. So the cabal of, uh, of this organization globally is trying to destroy national lines because then it can exploit the nations in a way it can't presently so long as you have an allegiance to your country. Like, this is what's really behind this. And there, oddly enough, these things, I mean, well, you're talking about Christian nationalism. This is always what comes up. No, I'm not. I'm talking about the design of God that when he said, when I put you in a city, seek the welfare of the city. When I put you in a nation, that nation has a unique destiny and you are called as a participant, as a citizen, as a, a, a dweller in that particular land to work with others to achieve the destiny of nations. Because when you come and stand before the throne of God at the end of days, you're coming as nations. As well as individuals. Did you know that? God judges nations. So you can look at some of those scriptures, which I won't go into, but all of these things are being orchestrated right now to destroy traditional affections, traditional commitments, traditional covenants that we have with one another as the family of God in order to bring something that will destroy the earth. Now, 
So there's, how do we participate with this? How do we, how do we grow in our ability to open the gate of heaven? Well, there's so many different ways, but one of the ones I want to talk about for a few minutes, I've got just a couple minutes left, so I want to talk about closing the gate of hell. Let me just read this one passage before I go into that. It's Acts 17, 26 to 28, and this is what it says about the destiny of nations. It says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they may, might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. And so God has created boundaries between nations. Let me just say one more thing about that. The good thing with having nations is you have test tubes. Nations are like test tubes so that you can compare the set of, so the set of rules that one group are operating under to see if it's more favorable than another set of rules. But if you don't have, <laughs> if you don't have different test tubes, if you don't have different places where this is being worked out, then people can throw up their arms and say, well, I, you know, we don't know what we're doing wrong. But if, you got, if the nation next door is operating by Christian principles and allowing you know, freedom of speech and freedom of, of travel and all of these things that we have championed for so many years, if they're doing it and they're prospering head over heels, then the, then the nation, you know, like Venezuela or whoever it is, that's, you know, they have all the resources, but they're, they're, they're collapsing if you have a nation not very far away that's doing extremely well and you have similar population base, similar skills, similar resources, then you start to ask the question, hmm, could we be doing something wrong? That's why God has created nations. So the distinction between those who are seeking the Lord and making God their king and receiving the blessing of that faith will be seen as more favorable. That's great. The enemy would like to destroy that, so there's no comparisons. If there's no test groups, then you can't say one is better than the other. This is part of the agenda. Realize this. Well, let me, 11-11. It's 11-11. Now, Where's the start? Where do, where do the gates of hell really begin? Obviously, there's a large gate, but the large gates, the ones that open and change and shift the histories of nations like Rwanda and China and, and uh, Vietnam and all of these places, those are national gates, but the opening of national gates of hell is predicated upon opening regional gates, and regional gates is predicated upon opening individual gates. And I'll, I'll only take it so far. So listen to this language, because it's really important that we understand this. That, that the gates, and we've talked about this before, but the gates of heaven and hell are not in heaven and they're not in hell, they're here on earth. Right, that's what we discovered from Genesis 28. That's what Jesus, that's the reality that Jesus is referencing right here. But there's a couple of passages in James that reference very interesting language. And the first one I'm gonna read is in... Uh, James chapter 1, if I can find it. Yeah, here it is here. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. Now, for reference, we need to understand that James is writing to believers. And he's writing to them to clear up a misunderstanding they have about their life. And the, 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 the culmination of this is, is basically this. Hey, guys. 
Cursing and blessing are coming out of the same faucet, your mouth. He's not saying it's not happening. He's saying it ought not to happen. But what he does is he compares it to this very idea we're talking about. He's talking about sources. He's saying, listen, life and death are coming out of the same place, but they don't have the same source. And so you are connected to both of these, and you decide which gate you're going to open in your personal life. Stop opening the wrong one. Stop justifying opening the wrong one. I mean, and I'm not saying you guys. When I say this, I say we guys, because we've all done it. We've all said inappropriate things, except for Jim. Jim, Jim's very disciplined. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Now he's embarrassed. I'm not that great. We've all done it. All right? And we we say, yeah, but under the right circumstances, I wouldn't. (laughs) But that's that's the issue. You're not always going to be in the right circumstances. And so what God is training training you to do is put you in ideal circumstances and say, now, can you do it consistently here? Okay. Once you do that, he says, well done. Then he exposes you to a little bit of provocation. He says, now, can you do it here? And if you can, he says, okay, let's try in your marriage. Can you do it here? Can you do it in your home? Can you do it when people are excluding you? Can you do it when people are disliking you? When, can you do it when people are unjustifiably attacking you? Can you do it when people are hating you? Can you do it when they're nailing you to a cross? Like, escalating expressions. How committed are you to the gate of heaven? That's the question. Because because your utility as a son of God in opening the gates of heaven comes down to how willing you are to open it and not open the other. But he realizes that you can't do that in every circumstance, every day of the week, all of your lives. So he uses us when he can and trains us and prepares us for, for an atmosphere a little more incendiary to see if we can keep our mouths shut right there. So let's listen to the language because it's, it's really important. He says, so then, my brethren, my beloved brethren, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And this is important here. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's really important, and the application of that is very widespread. In this incendiary day, when our views, when our position in the culture is being marginalized, when people are telling lies about what it means to be Christian, all the rest of that, Realize the wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. So righteous indignation, but you frothing at the mouth, angry, wanting to put them on a cross, metaphorically or in reality, cannot produce the thing that you're trying to adhere to. In other words, you actually only want the, the, the observances of that thing and not the essence of that thing. And the proof is you're opening the wrong gate. And the gate is your wrath. Uh, every time. You see, if you speak in wrath because you hate a political leader or because you hate somebody who's caught up in a certain kind of... I guess it's one thing to disagree, but there's a very fine line between disagreeing and speaking out of wrath. What, what God is trying to tell us, just because you're on the right side of an issue doesn't mean you're not opening the gate of hell. Yeah, right. Being on the right side of the issue is not the main thing. Yeah. Being on the right side of one of these two gates is the right thing. Yeah, that's, right. that's the issue. Because you can be on the wrong side of the, uh, the right side of the issue, but around the wrong gate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a mystery here. And I want to take time to touch it because when Adam and Eve fell, they fell because they ate of the tree of death and out of that death comes the the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. 
You can be on the good side of that tree, but you're still camped around death. And that's what justifying wrath, hatred, resentment, and we've done it. Our, our religious heritage has permitted it and winked at it. And we're, we're harvesting the fruit of that now. Because we were on the right side of the issue speaking death and now the wrong side of the issue. Because the right side of the issue on the wrong tree feeds just the other side of the same tree. And God is saying, no, I want you over here. I want you to open this gate. I want you to bless those who hate you. I want you to bless those who persecute you. I want you to love your enemies. Because if you do that, you're going to be opening this gate, the gate of heaven. The right side of the issue around the gate of hell still means that you're opening the gate of hell. That's what he's addressing here. What does that mean? Watch what's coming out of you. Is it blessing? Is it, I really love this person, but there's sometimes. <laughs> you know that, that nastiness that comes up? It doesn't matter what they did. That's coming out of you. That's the essential message of the gospel. Jesus said, listen, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of a man. We need, we need to be revival people. We need to be Holy Spirit, giftings, administrations of heaven people, but we need to be people who literally open the gate of heaven and never open the gate of hell. Insecurity, fear, anger, all of those things open the wrong gate. Every time you indulge them, even, in, even when you're sitting by yourself and you're fomenting about what that person did to you, You are making yourself a volunteer for another spirit that's looking to leverage that thing to create chaos in your community. So are you a force for good just because you politically can say the right things? I say not. This is what he goes on to say, listen, for the wrath of men does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with it meekness the implanted word which is able to save, which means convert your souls. Converting your souls, what are you doing? You want to change it from this power grid to this power grid. What's the overflow of wickedness? Well, let me give you an illustration. Recently, somebody had a problem with a sump pump. <laughs> and the nature of that particular sump pump, I, I, I don't know if I'll get all the language right, but there was an overflow of unsatisfactory sediment. <laughs> what, what the apostle James is saying, listen, every time you allow an overflow of un, unpalatable sediment, you're opening a gate that should remain closed. What's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the answer? Just don't justify it? What does that mean? I say, don't blame somebody else for the fact that you spoke hellish words. Well, they, no, they never. They gave you an opportunity. And you exercised your opportunity the wrong way. Don't justify it and repent. Repent. That's all, that's all you have to do. Oh, God, I don't want to do this. God, help me. Because part, sometimes part of the journey is realizing you're weak so that you can pull on the grace of God. Anyway, that's a whole other message. Let me quickly share this other scripture because I see we're running out of time. It's in James chapter 3. You, you have to realize everything James is talking about, he's talking about the gates of your heart. And he's saying, listen, as a Christian, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're always opening your, the gate of your heart is directed the right way. And your mouth is the evidence of which way your heart is leading in that moment. It's in a moment. It's not the condition of your whole life. It's which way is your heart leading in that moment. All right? Understand this. We're not talking... You, the condition of your heart, the direction your heart is leaning in a moment is not permanent. 
it changes according to the circumstances and the posture of your life. What we're trying to do is shut out this so it stops overflowing. So anyway, he's all talking about, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So he's saying, listen, realize that when your mouth speaks the wrong thing, it's coming through your heart, and that's what, need, that's what needs to be shifted. But here's the significance of this. He says, the problem is that what comes out of your mouth is powerful. He says, indeed, we put bits, and I'm reading from verse 3 of chapter 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Why? Not because the tongue is connected to the heart. There, there, is, there is a whole kingdom behind that gate that in this moment the, the tongue is, is, is connected to. That's what he's talking about. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. There was a reason when Peter said words that were spirit and life, Jesus said, oh, this is good, Peter. You didn't just constrain yourself from saying the wrong things. You actually, this had the substance of heaven on it. And there's a place where you just constrain yourself from saying the wrong things. You know, I'm just not opening that gate. I'm just, I feel like saying something to my wife right now, but I'm not gonna. Don't. Okay? Don't. Wives, husbands, children. Bosses, don't say it, right? That's the first start. The better position is where you are not even inclined to say it. But that takes saying no to this again and again and again and again and again. Well, what Paul, what Peter did was he released in that moment life. He, he got something from the other source. See, This is what our faith is. It's not about just being good. It's about drawing from one source or another source that's represented in the tree of life and the tree of death, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we justified a lot of stuff coming from this tree because it was the right posture, the good language, the approved language, politically correct, you know, theologically correct, biblically consistent, but if it's death, it's death, no matter what it's kind of sugar-coated stuff is on the top. Yeah. What, what, what Peter did, he said, listen, this is the cornerstone of the kingdom. This cannot be toyed with. Yeah. This will shut the gates of hell and nothing, there's no law against it, there's no power against it, there's nothing that can stop this. If you operate in this all the time, Peter, this is what, we're, this is what I'm doing. The kingdom of heaven. It'll just grow and grow and grow and it'll take over. The influence of this, it's, it's unstoppable. We could have the gate of heaven open here. So where does it start? At home? In your car when you're driving? In your most intimate relationships? Where does it finish? Here. Or anytime you're praying or anytime you're ministering, but the culmination, when the corporate body, people who are gifted, who have learned the difference between pulling from this source and pulling, when we start pulling from this source, all of us together, and not just doing what we see others doing at church, then we might step into a realm of revival that the world has been waiting for. That's God's plan. It's always been God's plan but we've understood it superficially. But a generation's coming. It's gonna walk in it fully. But it starts with accountability. I wanna say right now for husbands and wives, be accountable to one another. Repent quick. Don't let yourselves speak things to each other 
or about others that are not present, ever, 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 ever. Yeah, but you, ever. If we can start to do that, maybe the things we're prophesying about, praying about, singing about will actually manifest. I love that we do those things, but if you keep two steps forward, three steps back, we're still gonna be talking about the promises 20 years from now that still haven't been realized. Father, let's stand up together. Father, thank you for the promises. Thank you for the truth that you have given us. Thank you for the reality and the possibilities of the kingdom of heaven that you have set before us. But I pray, God, that you would give us the wisdom to implement the thing that you've given us to do in our daily life, in our secret life, in our private life, in our personal life, in every minute of every day, of every, of every week, of every month of the year. Father, we don't say just give us revival. Make us the source of revival. In Jesus' name. Just to close, let's stay standing. And and I'm going to have Di just take us through our national anthem. Right? Because honestly, as we sing this, Jim just came up to me and felt there's such a, a need for us just to bless our nation from the right source. And so as we sing this, let's do it from the right source. We get caught wanting righteousness so bad, we do exactly what he's saying, though. We go to the wrong source to try to get it. And it never works that way, right? And so let's just sing this, and as we sing it, it doesn't matter whatever part of Canada you see that has a hurt, a wound, let's bless it with everything in us. Amen? Bless our nation in Jesus' name, and we pray a blessing over each and every one of you as you leave today. Make sure to shake someone's hands. Say hello to somebody that you don't know. Bless you. Amen. Amen.